Our text today is Mark chapter 3, verses 7 through 19. Please turn there with me in your Bibles. This is the first story in Mark after five conflicts that Jesus had with the Pharisees. And at the end of that last conflict, in chapter 3, verse 6, the Pharisees picked their side. They decided they are going to try to destroy Jesus. And this is the first text that we see following that. So hear God's word from Mark chapter 3, starting in verse 7, and we'll go through verse 19. Jesus withdrew with his disciples to the sea, and a great crowd followed from Galilee and Judea and Jerusalem and Idumea and from beyond the Jordan and from around Tyre and Sidon. When the great crowd heard all that he was doing, they came to him. And he told his disciples to have a boat ready for him because of the crowd, lest they crush him. For he had healed many, so that all who had diseases pressed around him to touch him. And whenever the unclean spirits saw him, they fell down before him and cried out, You are the Son of God! And he strictly ordered them not to make him known. And he went up on the mountain and called to him those whom he desired, and they came to him. And he appointed twelve, whom he also named apostles, so that they might be with him, and he might send them out to preach and to have authority to cast out demons. He appointed the twelve, Simon, to whom he gave the name Peter, James, the son of Zebedee, and John, the brother of James, to whom he gave the name Boanerges, that is, sons of thunder. Andrew and Philip and Bartholomew and Matthew and Thomas and James, the son of Alphaeus and Thaddeus and Simon, the zealous zealot and Judas Iscariot, who betrayed him. The grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our God stands forever. Thanks be to God. I remember when I was a kid, I watched a pond be built. A four-acre pond in the middle of some old cow fields. And the process was not what I expected. You would expect that in order for a pond to be dug, you would start with digging. But in this case, that wasn't necessarily how it went. There was, in fact, some building. Building of the dam to hold the water in. And since there were two creeks that ran together and then out, they had to be diverted. So there were trenches dug that didn't end up being a part of the pond. It's not the course that you would expect if you were thinking of a simple way to build a pond. Normally, you'd just think dig. But this is a more complex situation, a more complex process than what we assume. If I told you that Jesus cares for your soul, what kind of process do you think he's gone through to care for your soul? What are some of the steps that he's taken? Sometimes we assume it's going to be that he's going to give us the things that we want to make us feel good. Sometimes we think he's going to surround us with very friendly people who tell us the things we want to hear. But in fact, sometimes it's more complicated than that. Sometimes he seeks our good and surrounds us with things that challenge us. And Jesus has been looking out for the care of your soul for a long time. For longer than you've been alive. In Mark chapter 3, we see Jesus laying the foundation of the church, which he intended to be a blessing for the souls of his people. This is a complicated building. 
and there is an opposition to him now. And he goes about building the church because he cares for your soul and my soul. We see in the book of Mark, Jesus has been about expanding the kingdom of God. And he knew the kingdom of God would include yourself and myself at this time in 2022. And so he's setting up ways that we might be, that we might grow as a part of the kingdom of God. Here we see Jesus establishing the new Israel. He's establishing the church. He doesn't just want you to get into salvation and sneak into heaven with a get out of hell free card. He wants to see you grow and thrive. And he's provided a place for us to do that. He's given us his spirit. We saw last week in in last week's sermon, he's given us the Sabbath as a blessing for us. And we're going to see today he's given us his church. We're going to look at how Jesus establishes the church to care for his people with three points today. We're going to look at the new opposition. We're going to look at the new gathering. And we're going to look at the new leadership. The new opposition, the new gathering, and the new leadership. The new opposition came at the end of last week's sermon. The Pharisees decided we are going to destroy Jesus. That's harsh. That would scare me if the religious institution decided that they are against me and are seeking a way to destroy me and looped in the Herodians who are very politically involved. So now the religious and political institutions are against you. Jesus knows it and is living it here. He sees that the earth is not his friend. This world is not a place of alliances and allegiances. But who would have thought that the strongest opposition would come from the religious establishment. But now, what Jesus sensed in their hearts chapters ago, they have made clear. They want to destroy him. And so, in verse 7, Jesus withdrew. Jesus withdrew with his disciples. He went with his disciples to the sea. He was likely in Capernaum in the prior passage. And so Capernaum was near the water, but he withdrew from the city knowing that this plot to kill him was in the works. But he knows that if he dies now, that his mission would not be accomplished. He needed to get to the cross. He needed to show his suffering servant that he was the suffering servant before his time. He knew now was not his time. So he intentionally withdrew from a place of danger. And we see more opposition here in this passage with the demons. Now, we've seen them oppose him before. In verse 11, we see, Whenever the unclean spirits saw Jesus, they fell down before him and cried out, You are the Son of God! And he strictly ordered them not to make him known. You might think it's a good thing that somebody would proclaim, You are the Son of God, yet it was understood that if somebody had the name of their opponent, they could use that name to overpower someone. So the demons, knowing that they were being smothered by this power of Jesus Christ, are trying to fight back by using his name to see if it gives them any grasp over Jesus, and it just doesn't work. And if the demons, we know they're not a friendly witness to Jesus. If the demons start telling everybody that Jesus is the Son of God, or that Jesus is the Messiah, people are going to get the wrong impression because Jesus has not clarified the job of the Messiah. They still think he's a political or a military leader. They're still going to think he's a political insurrectionist. So Jesus knows now is not the time for his name, for his title to be proclaimed to the world yet. A time would come 
but now was not it. He was strategic. And there's also a third opposition to him here, a third danger in verse 9. He told his disciples to have a boat ready for him because of the crowd, lest they crush him. Now, healers went around in those days, and people thought if I could just touch their cloak, they would be healed. And some of us may, may know this. I'm, I've never experienced this personally, but the power of a crushing crowd is legitimately deadly. And we also know that some had touched the hem of Jesus' cloak and were healed at other times in the New Testament. So Jesus knows that if we have a great multitude from all these places coming to him, crushing in on him, he knows that he might legitimately be in danger of death and now is not his time to die. So is Jesus a coward? By backing away from the Pharisees? By stepping out of danger's way? No, in fact, it's responsibility. It's intention. It's a passion. He has a a mission. He is focused on the kingdom of God and its advance. And he knew that for your soul and for my soul and for the soul of everyone who has trusted in Jesus, he had to die on the cross as a substitute for sinners. He could not die yet. And so with you and me in mind, he was strategic. He's not cringing back like a, like into his hole, like a dog with his tail between his legs. Imagine one of those slow motion scenes in an action movie where the protagonist is dodging the bullets and avoiding traps to accomplish the mission. That's what Jesus is doing, driving ahead to the cross. Religious opposition is not going to stop this Savior. Demonic or political opposition is not going to stop this Savior. Physical harm is not going to stop this Savior from accomplishing his goal. So what does this mean for us? We look at what Jesus has done here. Let's remember, we have a Savior who has strategically planned his routes, his location, his messages, and everything else out of love for his children. He withdrew from the Pharisees, the political reputation, and the crowd to save us. He had you and me in mind as he was laying the foundation for his church here in these passages so that he could complete his mission to die on the cross. And he reached that cross. And he took upon himself everything that his children have done wrong. He bore our punishment. He gave us his righteousness. He restored us to relationship with the true and good Heavenly Father. If you don't believe this, trust in this Savior who has gone out of his way to lay down his life for you at the right time, who has endured opposition from the world. He was, the world was not his friend, yet he chose to come here and endure this for our sake that we might be saved. Have you ever had a conversation with someone who never learned to make eye contact? Or maybe there's a more um, modern example. Have you ever tried to have a conversation with somebody who's staring at their phone? Right, so the eye contact, the conversation. Here, I'm a real person in the room in front of you. I'd like to converse with you. They're looking at their phone. They're looking away. They're looking at the dust under the chairs. So often we as Christians do that. We let ourselves get distracted by things that are around us and forget to look at the mission. We forget to look at where Christ is taking us. We don't look at heaven. We don't look at the cross. We look at our phones and the size of our wallets and our social connections and the dust under the chairs. Let's seek first his kingdom and his righteousness. Let's be people of a mission. 
Let's be about his business. I've quoted this many times before. Colossians 3, Paul says, set your minds on things that are above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. And when Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. How do we use our time? Do we use it intentionally for the mission of the kingdom? How do we use our money? What about our house? What about your social connections? You're sitting here at a church plant in Kent. You're somewhat intentional already. I don't know, can I pat us on the back like that? You're intentional with your time. You have set aside this evening. Many volunteers come every week to help make this happen. They are intentional with their time. We have people who are supporting this work. The mission of the, of the gospel going to the, the far ends of the earth. Supporting this work with their money. I pray that we'll continue to do these types of things. That we will be mission-minded and that we won't simply cave to our short-sighted, short-term, lazy, gluttonous lusts. And then feast on death. That's what we're prone to. I only use those words because they are what I see in my heart so often. Jesus accomplished his mission. Our job now is to live in the victory that he accomplished when he made it to the cross. So let's not be surprised when we face opposition. Let's not be surprised that the world is not our friend. As surely as he endured the trials before him and as surely as Jesus made it to the cross, you and I are also going to endure the pains of this journey and reach the promised land because of what Jesus has done. Even here in Mark 3, Jesus has his sights set on his mission to save his people, to seek and to save the lost. Praise God for that Savior who will not be turned aside. Let's look at point two, the new gathering. Jesus is taking the concept of Old Testament Israel, the nation that was supposed to be a blessing to all the nations, and Jesus is fulfilling everything that Israel was supposed to be here in this passage. We know, you remember, the goal was that the Jews and the Gentiles would be brought into this community. The old people, the old gathering, it was just the nation of Israel and all who were within her bounds. The new people are Jews and Gentiles, people of all nations. The word here in chapter 3, verses 7 and 8, my ESV says a great crowd. Crowd is really not, this is, a, this is the only time the word crowd is used by Mark in this way. He uses, the, there's a more normal word for crowd, but the word great crowd is actually more like multitude. There's a multitude coming to Jesus. And a Jew who's listening to this gospel is going to hear the word multitude that Mark chose. And remember, wait, I know that word. In Genesis 17, God made a promise about a multitude. In Genesis 17, verse 4, God said, Behold, my covenant is with you, and you shall be the father of a multitude of nations. The promise was that Gentiles would be brought in. All the nations would be gathered to Christ. And it is happening right here in our passage. We see people from all over. John the Baptist had people from Judea and Jerusalem. Fine. But what about the Edomites from Idumea and the people from the other people from this other side of the river? And what about the people from around Tyre and Sidon, purely Gentile region? The covenant community is growing even now right here, not out of a shared nationality, but out of an attraction to Jesus Christ. They came. They were intrigued about his power. They heard about what he had done. They were seeing the beauty of Christ, his unmatched authority as he taught. 
They were attracted to the God-man. You would expect that the religious elite would be the ones leading this charge, but in fact, they are the ones on the other side. The nations are no longer Jews versus Gentiles. The nations now are gods versus Satan's. You would think all the Jews trust God, right? No, the Pharisees have proved that's not the case. The Jews have become enemies. And the Gentiles who are far off, who are unclean, in fact, they now are becoming God's people. Praise God that he didn't stop with the Jews, but he welcomes us in. And Paul in Romans 9 makes it even more clear. He says, not all who are descended from Israel, that is bloodline Israel, belong to Israel. That is this new Israel that Jesus is building. Not all of them belong. Here's the point. Jesus is ushering in, ushering in the completion of this covenant community that was started in the Old Testament. It was supposed to be a place that welcomes Jews and Gentiles, and Jesus made it happen. It's coming to its fulfillment right here with Jesus. And everyone who looks to Jesus Christ and believes in him is a part of this covenant community. Praise the Lord. So we have to ask ourselves, Why do we come to church? Why do we call ourselves Christians? Do we just like the institution and the people? Does it make us feel good about ourselves? Or are we drawn to Jesus? Does his beauty overwhelm us? Does the fact that he can forgive sins make us keep coming back and remind ourselves that I am broken and loved by this God? It can be a lot of intellectual fun to dig into the theology and the textual connections. But if we don't let our loves chase after this God, what are we doing? Another thing we learn here is that how did the people from Tyre and Sidon hear about this Jesus? How did the people from Idumea and the other side of the Jordan River hear about this Jesus? How do the people in Kent hear about Jesus? Because we talk about him. We tell people about him. We make sure that the gospel of Jesus Christ is associated with what we do. We make sure that what we do proclaims Jesus and we make sure people hear him so that they can be attracted to Jesus. Thank God that he welcomes sinful people like us, that he has grown the church to include people like us. And he did all this because he loves you. He loved you, he chose you, and he called you from distant lands that you would be brought near. Let us not neglect such a great salvation and let us not withhold it from others. Let's be a place that talks about the beauty of Jesus. And lastly, let's look at the new leadership. We've seen the opposition. We've seen that Jesus is now creating this new Israel covenant community. Now let's look at the new leadership. He is again fulfilling the Old Testament. The office is created in the Old Testament. Jesus is bringing them to fulfillment and to completion. How many disciples did he call? Twelve. This is important. And I say, but what about Judas? Okay, well, when Judas betrayed Christ, they actually brought in another, Matthias, because the number 12 was important. Just like a Jew would have heard the word multitude and known that it was a reference to the covenant community, also, Jesus calling 12 people to follow him would be a fulfillment of the 12 tribes of Israel. Here, Jesus is setting himself up as the head of the nation of the new Israel, all Jews and Gentiles who come in. 
and he calls the apostles. The apostles, that means, it just means sent ones. And if you were to break down this list of sent ones here in verses 13 through 19, it's a bunch of nobodies. Not the most impressive of the land. We know Simon Peter, he's, he's flaky. We know the, the fishermen. We got some people with some boisterous personalities, apparently, by the way that Jesus gave them a nickname. Uh, we see people from, uh, mostly from Galilee, which is kind of the backwoods area. We see a tax collector. This is not, these are not the rich and powerful and the beautiful in the world. Neither was Israel. God chose what is foolish, the smallest of nations, to show his power through them. All the blessings and the promises that God made to Israel are coming to completion and are given to the church, to the new Israel. Because God has set up for us this covenant community where we get to continue in the promises that he started for his people. What's also really important here is that Jesus went up on the mountain. The mountain is an important place. The mountain is a closeness to God. The mountain is where prophets received word from God and communicated it to the people. Moses went up on the mountain regularly. That's where he received the Ten Commandments. That's also, this is important, that's where Moses commanded Israel to be a blessing to the nations. That's where God commanded Israel. Israel through Moses to be a blessing to the nations from the mountain. So Jesus went up on the mountain and he establishes the 12 to be a blessing to the nations, to the whole world. And he sees the multitudes below and says, these are my people that I love, that I am going to build a structure for. Jesus said, I know the Pharisees are seeking to kill me and I am going to die. So how can I care for my people? I'm going to give them a place to thrive. I'm going to give them a place where my word is proclaimed. And that's exactly what Jesus does. He appoints the 12. Look at what they do in verse 14. So that they might be with him and he might send them out to preach and have authority to cast out demons. The training first is to be with Jesus, to learn from him, to grow close to him, to follow his habits and to love him. And then they are sent to preach, and to cast out demons. We know that the casting out of demons is always associated with the power of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Spirit of God at work. These weren't superheroes who were given some sort of otherworldly power. It was the Spirit of God and the power of the gospel that was able to cast out demons. And what's also implicit is that they were able to heal. If they're able to heal and cast out demons, these were proofs that they had the authority of Jesus Christ. These were proofs to affirm that the message that they proclaimed was indeed the message from God. And we see that because these were the ones through which God gave us the scriptures. God appointed the apostles to be the ones to remember what Christ had done by the Holy Spirit's help. He promised that in John 14, 26. He said, I will send the helper to help you to remember everything that I have told you. And so they wrote down scripture and all the miracles that they performed were to prove the validity of Jesus Christ's authority in them that Jesus had given to them on the mountain on this day. When Jesus prayed in John 17, the uh, high priestly prayer, he prayed, Father, I pray not only for these, speaking of the apostles, but also for those who will believe in me through their word. Jesus knew that the apostles would be going out and preaching the gospel and pro- be proclaiming to the nation so that you and me 
that you and I would believe. There aren't many places where we can read a passage of scripture and say, I'm, I'm in this verse. But that verse in John 17, verse 20, is about you and me. We are the ones who have believed because of the testimony of the apostles. And he set them up as the leaders to help see the church go forward. He gave them the keys of the kingdom that they might hold authority over the church and that they might proclaim the gospel. So for us today, we continue to live in the wake of what Christ has set up here. We continue to benefit from the community of believers. We have God's word preached every week because God gave it to us through his apostles because he was seeking our good back in Mark 3. We have godly leadership and accountability based on the authority of the apostles in the midst of a world that is antagonistic and wants to see us go under. We have leadership that wants to see us thrive. You see the specific establishment of the offices of elder and deacon in the book of Acts. And Acts talks about this church, these apostles taking the church into the Gentile world. And that includes offices of elder and deacon. And these are the ones God has given us through the authority of the apostles. And we have this church so that we might have fellowship of believers to grow with, to encourage, to be encouraged by, while the rest of the world is climbing the ladder. Dog-eat-dog kind of world. Jesus chose 12 men to be the building blocks of the church because of his love for you and for me. To create a place of spiritual flourishing through gospel proclamation and accountability and discipline and discipleship, encouragement and more, so that we would grow to be more and more like Christ. Despite the obstacles, Jesus kept on for his mission. He welcomed in everybody. From all, he welcomed in, welcomed in people from all nations. It didn't matter what nationality you're from. Praise God he didn't stop with the Jews because now you and I are welcomed in. And he gave us accountability and structure and leadership so that we might be shepherded, so that we might be cared for. So here's an application that you might hear in a lot of sermons, but I hope it means a little bit more today. Go to church. Go to church, not because it's just a chore to check off your list. Sometimes it feels like that. I understand. Some of us come here and are really excited to hear the things of God. But some of us are just here because it's the routine and our hearts are not engaged. To both of you, I say God cares for you. Jesus loves you enough to set up this place that you might hear that Jesus loves you right now. No matter how your week went. Jesus cares for you. Let's go to church and hear that reminder. Let this be a place that is filled with gospel love and forgiveness. Don't just go, I challenge you, join your church. Become a member. Put yourself under the authority of godly men who have been trained to oversee, men who, men who care for your soul, who will shepherd. Jesus is the great shepherd. But there is a benefit in submitting yourself to the authority for your discipleship, for accountability. And let's invite the multitudes to come and hear this Jesus. Let's invite the multitudes to this place that they would be attracted to him. Let's be ready for opposition from every side. Let's remember that this world is not our home. Let's strip our heart of all longings for worldly comforts and let's keep our minds set on the things of God. Planning a church is hard work. We heard a reminder of that this morning at Redeemer. 
It's hard work and it means sacrifices. And it means giving up conveniences. Sometimes it means giving up relationships. Sometimes it means leaving behind a place of refuge to create that place, to multiply that church elsewhere so that others might be brought in and experience that same blessing we have experienced in the church. And let every church be founded on biblical preaching. If you go somewhere and you're looking for a church and they're not preaching the Bible, please don't go. Jesus cares for you and he is growing you even now. And when I say Jesus is growing you, sometimes we think it has to be some mystical experience. Listen to how he grows you. He speaks to you. Not like you're hearing voices, but from his word. Every week. He feeds you with his presence and with the reminder of his sacrifice given to us on this table every week. He seals you with baptism and with the Lord's Supper, his sacraments. He encourages you when you're down when that mentor that, it, that older Christian in the church puts his or her hand on your shoulder and says, are you okay? He reminds you that in Christ you are loved even if you're sinful, even if you're weak. He draws you on to holiness when others approach you and say, I'm worried about you in this way, brother. And your response is, you're right. I didn't see that. I need help. Jesus proclaims the gospel of life to his covenant people right here in the church every week. He's been looking out for you for a long time. Let us continue to take hold of that blessing. Who else is as trustworthy as this Savior who has been looking for your spiritual growth for a long time? So then let us not neglect to meet together, as some are in the habit of doing, but let's meet all the more, especially as we see the day drawing near.